Jesus wasn't talking about being perfect as far as performance. He said be perfect. He's talking about becoming. It actually means to be complete and it has the idea of spiritual maturity. What Christian wouldn't want to be like their Heavenly Father? What Christian wouldn't want to grow up and be a man or a woman of God and exhibit more of the fruit of the Spirit? In our series so far, we've seen that there's more going on below the surface of our sinful behaviors than we realize. We can't just try to cut off the bad fruit of lust, anger, or addiction. We have to dig deep into the ground of our hearts where a great evil, our prideful self-life, is supplying nutrition to these visible sins. And we've seen that no matter what your personality, quiet or loud, bashful or brash, pride is a root that must be resolutely dug out of all of our hearts. Today we look at yet another form of pride, one that manifests itself in introverts and extroverts, one that disguises itself under the guise of doing my best. It's the pride that screams, I will be perfect. Work hard. Do your best. Do things with excellence. What do you think of when you hear things like that? Now, there's obviously nothing wrong with putting your heart into something and seeking to do your best. I myself recently encouraged our staff to work with all of your heart as for the Lord and not for men. It's honorable to do a good job, but as with any good thing, our human nature has a knack for corrupting it into something wicked. Enter perfectionism. You see, the perfectionist takes these things to an unhealthy, and you guessed it, a prideful level. They hear words like work hard and do your best as you must be the best. Everything you do must be perfect. For the perfectionist, a heavy burden is tied around their mind as they obsess over trying not to fail. What is so sinful about perfectionism? Why is it inherently prideful? And what is the fruit of a life dominated by perfectionism? I brought biblical counselor Ken Larkin into the studio to discuss this with me. Ken, it seems to me like it would be difficult to discern when a person's desire to do things well or to succeed at something is crossing the line into prideful perfectionism. Because from the outside, it just probably seems like a person's a hard worker or they take things seriously. But we're concerned about what God thinks because his perspective is really the only thing that matters. So can you talk to us about why perfectionism can easily turn into pride. Yeah, Nate, the main thing with perfectionism is it's all focused upon themselves. Hmm. Someone has an ungodly preoccupation with themselves, even maybe an excessive focus on themselves. How am I doing? How do I look? Uh And some of this can be rooted in fear. Basically, they don't want to fail because they don't want to crush their own image of themselves. Sure. Or even the fear of man or fear of rejection. They don't want to have disapproval of others. They don't want their reputation to be ruined. Uh 
but it's all about themselves. It's not about, oh, I want to do well because I want to glorify God right, right, or benefit right. other people. Right. But it's, am I going to look good in this? What is the payoff for me? How am I going to bolster my own ego or come out on top with this? And I don't think anybody thinks that way consciously, yeah. but it's still, it's all rooted in self and it's not rooted in glorifying God or helping other people. Yeah, and, and you mentioned that these kinds of patterns can be very subconscious. They can be hidden from us. Um, perfectionism can be so subtle. I know that from my own life, how easily it creeps in. It even creeps into our spiritual life. I mean, I think of Jesus' words where he said, you must be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. And if a person is under the control of this perfectionism, it can sound like Jesus is encouraging us to strive and to strain and to uh, minutely analyze every single aspect of our spiritual life. It's like then we're only encouraged to strive in our own strength and to live for our own glory. Yeah, that's true. And it could lend itself to despair if they say, how can I possibly live up to this standard? Uh -huh. Yeah, I'm no longer under the law. Now I have to be perfect. <laughs> right. <laughs> and then they're in delusion if they think they have measured up to that yeah, yeah. standard. And you know, it definitely bolsters their pride. But the reality is... Jesus wasn't talking about being perfect as far as performance. He said, be perfect. He's talking about becoming. Mm. It actually means to be complete. Mm -hmm. And it has the idea of spiritual maturity. Mm -hmm. What Christian wouldn't want to be like their heavenly father? Yeah. What Christian wouldn't want to grow up and be a man or a woman of God and exhibit more of the character of God, exhibit more of the fruit of the spirit, to be perfect as our father in heaven is perfect. But that's a lifetime of growth and it's not so much what you do, even though that's important, but it's who you're becoming. Yeah. It's not, okay, I'm doing good now or I'm doing bad now. No, it's a progressive growth that every day, even if it's imperceptible, we should be coming more and more like our Heavenly Father. Yeah, I like the way that you were speaking about this lifelong, gradual process of becoming like our Heavenly Father, because that's going to help us to look at the things in our lives, especially those who are geared toward perfectionism. You can look at issues and acknowledge them and embrace the fact that I'm a sinner, I need help, and God is calling me to become more like him. So let's take a look at some of the ways that perfectionism can manifest itself. The first is in a critical spirit. How is it that critical spirit reveals pride and the self-life in a person? Well, the interesting thing about a critical spirit is it may be a correct assessment. Mm -hmm. So it's not so much whether you're judging someone and whether that judgment is true or not, okay. but it's the spirit or the attitude that you're in. Right. So if someone is being critical, they're in a prideful attitude. They're basically on top looking down at someone else and judging them. Okay. You're not measuring up to my standard. Okay. And it's, it's basically unloving uh -huh. and it's full of pride because it's, it's based on what I believe to be true. And it may be a biblical standard or it may be just some random standard that I've developed, yeah, yeah. but it's still, you're not measuring up. So instead of being loving and kind and wanting to help someone and seeing their fault as a need, you see it as something that I'm going to judge you for this. Uh -huh. So really, and, and Pastor Steve did mention in the book, the difference between a critical spirit and a discerning spirit, a discerning spirit is brokenness. Yeah. So it's the attitude are you in? Are you in the attitude of the enemy who is an accuser of the brethren who wants to condemn us for our faults? Sure. 
Are you in the attitude of Jesus who loves sinners and wants to save us from them and do everything he can to come alongside and support that person in their need? And that's the difference. Is it, am I full of pride in myself and judging everyone else based on my standards? Am I unloving and harsh in that judgment call? Or is it, a, is it a love thing where yeah. I see you have a need and I want to help you? Yeah, I find it really interesting, this from my own life, where I can be despairing because I'm not measuring up to a standard, and yet at the exact same time that I'm realizing how much help I need, I can turn and look at somebody else and have a critical, judgmental spirit about them for not measuring up. Well, that's the crazy thing about this perfectionist mentality that typically they're at least as harsh toward others and not measuring up as themselves, Uh but you're not at peace inside and you take it out on everybody else, it seems like. Yeah, this pride more than any of the others that Pastor Steve talked about in his book hits really close to home for me in my own life. And I think that one thing that makes it hard for a perfectionist to repent of being critical is that we're so aware that God sees down to the most intimate details of our heart. He sees the motives. He sees the intentions, you know, and it's like that to us is like, oh, that's scary. Um, And we know that we have to be vigilant to guard our own hearts and our own minds from various things. And so it almost seems at times like in our relationship with other people that we should be just as vigilant with them as we feel the need to be for ourselves. And so it's, you know, it's kind of like, man, how do you draw that line between discernment and criticism when the Bible is saying, don't judge, but then it almost seems like it encourages us to judge at times. Um, you already talked a little bit about the, the difference between discernment and criticism, but can you just explain more about why brokenness takes us out of criticism and into discernment? Well, it's interesting because Jesus said, judge not that you be not judged, but then he talked about removing the board from your own eye, Uh and then you'll see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. So if you don't have a clear understanding of your own need before God, and if you're not broken over your own sins and shortcomings, Uh then you're never going to have a humble attitude in your approach toward other people. Yeah, right. So it's very important, first of all, for our own spiritual lives that we come into that true brokenness and a knowledge of our need of a Savior, Mm -hmm. that we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And that hits home personally to me. I'm a sinner. It's not just my neighbor. No, I'm the sinner. I'm the tax collector. Be merciful to me, a sinner. And when that happens, you can have a humble attitude in your approach to others. And again, it's not that the judgment call is wrong, but it's what spirit are you in when you're making that judgment call? That's good. Is the board in your eye that you're looking at them from a critical, judgmental, condemning spirit? Or is that board removed and now I'm seeing my brother as as someone in need that I can come alongside and help them, that I can exhibit the love of God and the mercy of God in their fault and not judge them like the devil would do? Right. Yeah, I've been so personally challenged by the example of Jesus because Jesus saw more clearly the sins and the faults of other people, and his response was to let himself be murdered for us. And it it just, it brings it home to me that if, unless I'm in that same kind of flow where I would allow myself 
to bear the sins of those people, then I'm not being like Jesus. Yeah, that's so true. And uh, one of the books that the men in our program have to do is What the Bible Teaches About Mercy by Rex Andrews. And he mentions the concept that all day long people are passing through our hearts. Mm -hmm. And is our heart a judgment seat, like the devil, or a mercy seat, Mm -hmm. like Jesus? Mm -hmm. And Jesus is the mercy of God to us. And if we're his followers, we're supposed to convey the same mercy to other people. And isn't it interesting, we who have received the most mercy should be the most willing to give that out. But the perfectionist is not willing because they don't see their own need. Hmm. Yeah, you know, I can relate to both sides of the coin when it comes to perfectionism. Because you mentioned at the beginning the delusion when you think you're meeting the standard and the self-condemnation when you begin to realize that you're not. And so I'd like to talk about that second side of the coin, the self-condemnation. Can you explain what that spirit is and the dangers of being uh, self-condemning? Well, self-condemnation is really, if you break it down, just what it says, self is condemning self. Hmm. The problem with that is you're basing it on your own assessment, your own carnal thoughts, your own feelings. You know, how do I measure up to my own standards? But it's all rooted in yourself. Mm. And the problem with that is you're not going to find any solutions from a spiritual standpoint in self. Mm. And when you focus on yourself, it does lend itself to condemnation because there's nothing good in us apart from Jesus. <laughs> yeah, right. So it's not like it's a wrong assessment. Okay. But the problem with that is you're focused on yourself to the exclusion of God. Yeah, yeah. We do have a Savior. Jesus did die to save us from our sins. Yeah. And one of the spiritual perils is you never get your eyes, if you never get your eyes off yourself, you're not going to see the Savior yeah. and you're not going to have a way out. Yeah. So it really, by focusing on yourself, it's going to foster unbelief uh-huh. because you're not putting your faith in Jesus. And also it could lead to despair because if you never look to Jesus, you're never going to have a real way out. Right, right. And then even to give it up, you know, yeah. well, I can't do it. There's no yeah. sense. I, I'm not perfect. I'll never be perfect. I'm just going to throw in the towel and give up. Right, right. But it's all rooted in self. And what we need to do is get out of ourself or we'll never be out of that self-condemnation. Yeah. Yeah, it's so it's so subtle and deceptive that it's you know, it's just another form of self-love. You know, it's thwarted self-love. I thought I was so amazing, and now I realize I'm just a loser. And so like you said, I'm just going to give up. I'm going to throw in the towel, which reveals it was never about the Lord. Right. It was about me. And like you said, just getting our eyes on Jesus, man, that can be a real battle. Yeah. Well, especially when someone spent years looking at themselves, I'm the source, and then you feel condemned because I know I'm not measuring up. Uh At least they have an honest enough heart to know that, yeah, I'm not measuring up (laughs) to the standard here. And it, it becomes a vicious cycle. You try to turn to the Lord, but then you're still somehow basing it on performance, and yeah. then you're condemning yourself. Yeah, I'm not measuring up. And it just it's just a vicious cycle of continually, you're going to fail because we're all human, yeah. and then you're going to condemn yourself. And unless you get your eyes off yourself, which sometimes is the most difficult thing yep. to do right. for that person, you're never going to get out of that cycle. Yeah, yeah. But it just reminds me where um, in Isaiah 55 where it said, let the wicked man forsake his thoughts and the unrighteous man his deeds and let him return to the Lord for the Lord will abundantly pardon. I just love that about the Lord. Amen.
I actually have a couple other questions planned, but it seems like in some ways it's just reiterating some of the things we've already said, but I have found that I can't hear the same truth enough. Right. Because man, like you said, this vicious cycle, it just seems like there's no way out. Um, repentance can be excruciating because it's like, you know, as that perfectionist, now repentance is just another thing that I have to do perfectly. What is going on inside when a person sees things that way? They're basically just exhibiting the same behavior they have been in their perfectionism, that they are the source. Okay. It's like you're trying to become your own redeemer. It's true, you need <laughs> <Yeah>. to repent, <laughs> right? but you need help. Yeah. You need God's help. And it's not perfect repentance. Yeah. You know, it's been said that the person who truly repents will never be fully satisfied with their repentance. Huh. So there's always going to be room for change. There's always going to be room for growth. Right, right. The standard's Jesus. The standard really is perfection. Yeah. But the problem with the person when they're looking at their own repentance is they're looking at themselves still. Yeah. They're still not fully repenting of focusing on self. Right. And self is the source of this change. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know if you've ever had this experience, but when I meet people who are re repenting perfectionists, it's like, even if I don't know them at all, we can instantly connect on this issue because of the pitfalls and just similar experiences, similar mindsets. And you've done a really good job of outlining the hard issues involved and what's uh, how these things manifest themselves. And so I, I think any person who really struggles with this is like, okay, please just tell me the way out. Like, how do I change? Um, because if self-effort isn't the answer, then what is the answer? That's a good question. <laughs> a very important question. Yeah. In Galatians 3, Paul addressed this issue of self-effort. He said to the Galatians, are you so foolish, having begun in the spirit, yeah. are you now being made perfect in the flesh? Yeah. Some, I think one version of paraphrase say, are you attaining your goal through human effort? Wow. So the idea here is obviously the same way you begun is the way you need to perpetuate that. Yeah, thing. that's right. The Bible teaches walking in the spirit. Okay. If you walk in the spirit, you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. If you through the spirit put to death the deeds of the body. So it's all about the Holy Spirit Amen. coming alongside, filling us yeah. and possessing us as his people. And he literally writes his words upon our hearts. Yeah. He gives us the desire and the ability to obey. Yeah. That's the beautiful thing about salvation. Jesus is not a second Moses. He yeah. has given us his Holy Spirit to actually reproduce his life in us. And Jesus used the analogy of, I am the vine, you are the branch. Right. It's a relationship. It's yeah. not about performance. Right. It's not about, am I measuring up? It's a, do I know Jesus? Yeah. And if I know him, the more time I spend with him, the more I allow myself to be in his presence, yeah. spending time in prayer in the word, I'm going to abide in him yeah. and my actions are going to become more and more Christ-like. Yeah. So it's the Holy Spirit. It's walking in the spirit. It's being in that dynamic relationship with the Lord, that you're not in this alone. You're not yeah. trying to do it in your own strength. And that's really the whole crux of salvation. It's no longer trusting in yourself, but now I'm trusting in a savior. And as we put our faith in him, he is able to do what we cannot do ourselves. Amen. As we walk in the spirit, we will live a life pleasing to the Lord. Jesus said, the spirit gives life, the flesh profits nothing. 
Mm. Yeah, that is so good. And I hope that anyone who's listening can just decide in a sense, like I'm putting a stake in the ground today and my aim from the from now to the rest of my life is I am going to focus on Jesus. Even as unnatural as it might feel or all of the all the feelings and the difficulties that come along with that life, I am going to ask God, make Jesus the very center of my life. Don't let me be in the center anymore. And I know that the Lord is going to hear a prayer like that. Amen. Amen. Thanks for coming in. Thank you. Over the last few weeks, we've talked about the different daughters of pride that can spring up if our pride remains unchecked. This week, we're looking at brooding anger. This is a bit different than the explosive kind of anger we looked at a few episodes ago. Sometimes, anger sits just below the surface, simmering, stewing, unseen by the eyes of others. Yeah, my thought life was very full of just revenge and anger. Um, I saw someone getting something that I wanted, whether it was the girl or the job or a car, um, and I was very frustrated towards people, towards other people in my life. And I was just angry at others because I thought I deserved what they were getting. Um, There was a lot of bitterness, a lot of brooding over issues that I thought I had been wronged in. And I just always wanted myself to be promoted over these people. Um, I always wanted to step on them and step over them. And I was frustrated that I wasn't able to do that. Um, So I wanted them to get what I thought they deserved, which was to be back down where I was. Um, And so I was always replaying in my mind how I could best these people and maybe teach them something they didn't know or show them up in, in some way that would kind of humiliate them. This brooding anger may sneak by without seeming to break any of God's commandments. What I mean is, Just as the Pharisees were blind to how their lustful thoughts were as wicked as adultery, so too are our evil thoughts toward others as wicked as actual murder. Something I remember very specifically. When I was in high school, uh, there was a girl that I liked and we were in band together. One day I walked into the band hall and she and one of my friends were holding hands and I remember my gut reaction was immediately anger. I walked outside and turned around immediately to try and hide my anger from everyone that was around me. So I I went outside and tried to get over it somehow. Eventually, my friend came out, and I remember looking at him and just thinking awful thoughts of wishing that he was dead uh, and wishing that harm would come to him. I somehow managed to kind of repress those thoughts and keep them hidden. And even though we remained friends, I'm sure that I was always trying somehow uh, in subtle ways or maybe not so subtle ways to one-up him or make him pay for what he had done to me. We can all be blind to the type of sin that broods in the heart, subtly tainting the way we think and act towards others. Maybe you too, like David, have someone in your life that you're trying to act kindly toward, but inside... You want them to pay for what they've done. Maybe you even wish they were dead. Maybe you think, well, I don't act on it, so it's permissible. But that isn't what Jesus thinks. He taught us that to desire something is the same as doing it. See Matthew 5. 
and that our righteousness has to go way beyond the kind that is only outward. God requires real heart change, real love, a real renewing of the mind. And if we don't examine ourselves through the lens of Scripture, then our own sinful thinking, not the Holy Spirit's, will be the driving force of our thoughts and actions. Yeah, I can clearly see now that this brooding anger and the desire for vengeance was a mechanism that was deeply rooted in a very strong self-exalting attitude that I had. And I reacted to not getting what I wanted or not being elevated to a certain position because I had such a high view of myself. I thought I was worthy of attention. I thought I was worthy of promotion. And I thought that I should get whatever I wanted. So when I saw others getting it, I wanted to defend my honor, so to speak. I wanted to do whatever it took to get what I thought I deserved. As you listen to David talk, you can hear that self was at the center of his thoughts and actions. And that's what we're getting at in this series. That is the very thing that God wants to set us free from. Because our self-life brings with it misery. Until we deal with the root of our prideful thinking, we'll be trapped in sin and sadness. I can see that a major part of my staying in that cycle was that um, whenever those things were exposed, instead of dragging myself out into the open to get dealt the blow that it deserved, I pitied myself. And so I was stuck in self-pity, and instead of letting the Lord deal with me or letting even my superiors deal with me, I would get stuck in a cycle of self-pity, which would just send me back to thinking that I deserved better than I was getting. Those who remain stuck in this kind of anger or in any kind of pride will lack the true peace that comes from walking in a close relationship with God. But there is a way out. We don't have to stay in that kind of thinking. If we will pray for God to open our eyes and allow the situations he places us in to expose what is really inside of us, he will change us. If we'll humble ourselves and say we're wrong, then we can begin the path of repentance into real freedom from the sins that bind us. But the Lord was very merciful to me, and he brought me to a job where he began showing me what I was um, really like, and as the bad fruits of anger and vengeance started coming out of me. He helped me to see what was under that, um, that self-exaltation that was always striving to get ahead at the expense of, of other people. And so I ended up in a lot of situations where he helped me to see my own pride and he taught me how to, instead of being envious um, or vengeful, he taught me how to humble myself and submit to where he had me instead of striving to get to some height that I thought I deserved. I want to end by talking about overcoming perfectionism. Like any sin, the obsession with being perfect is a burden. I've seen it in others, and I've seen it in myself. The perfectionist pushes themselves beyond the limit of what is required, all because they're afraid of failing to meet their own expectations or the expectations of those around them. They find it difficult to rejoice in the good things in life because all they see are the imperfections. Nothing is ever good enough. It always needs to be just a little bit better. 
They're always trying to prove themselves, either to themselves or to others, doesn't really matter. But only two things are certain for the perfectionist, a slavish life of effort and a constant experience of painful disappointment. But perfectionism is also an offense to God. It's based in pride and gives birth to more. Perfectionism makes room for little else than the constant drive to make sure that we succeed. How different is the humble spirit of Jesus, who left his glorious home above to die naked on the cross of Calvary? As you could probably tell from my interview with Ken, the desire to be perfect has been something that I've struggled with a lot. I never would have told you that that was my struggle because I didn't really realize it until hindsight. So what does God require of us? How must we change in order to come into alignment with his spirit? If we're true believers, then there's a few things we must do. First, we must confess to God and then to a trusted brother or sister. We have to get brutally honest with ourselves and others. Where does this desire to be perfect come from? Why do we spend so much energy trying to improve ourselves? Doesn't it come from a self-centered desire to please ourselves and others rather than a desire to glorify God with a pure heart? Aren't we really concerned mostly with feeling good about ourselves and receiving the praise of man rather than living for the good of man and the praise of God? Second, we must repent specifically of areas in which our perfectionism is most clearly expressed. Ask the Holy Spirit to search your life and illuminate specific areas where your motivation does not please him. Maybe it's in the amount of time you put into your education. Maybe it's the obsession with your spiritual image. Maybe it's in the emphasis you put on your physical appearance. Or maybe it's vicarious and it's all about your children's perfection. Whatever it is, take ownership of these things and call them what they are, sin and pride. Third, we must return to God. There's no other being in the universe that's as lovely, as pure, as righteous, as knowledgeable, as strong, as kind, or as just as God. We must turn our faces to Him and begin seeking Him. Start taking the time, the energy, and the resources that you are spending on trying to be perfect and begin spending them on pursuing God. Study His attributes. Ask the Spirit to open your eyes to the majesty of Christ. Ask him to remove you from the center of everything and to put him in his rightful place. And fourthly, we must begin to push back on those attitudes and motivations as they come up. If you're repenting, the Holy Spirit will remind you when your perfectionistic streak wants to reassert itself, and then it's time to tell yourself no and to put yourself into God's loving hand. That's all for this episode. Join us next week as we look at the last manifestation of pride, one that masks itself with a spiritual image. We'll also be playing for you the trailer for our 2021 annual conference. You won't want to miss it. Thanks for joining us today on Purity for Life. Purity for Life is a production of Pure Life Ministries. For over 30 years, Pure Life Ministries has been the go-to for those whose lives have been devastated by sexual sin. Visit us on the web for more information about our life-changing counseling programs and powerful teaching materials. 
Also check out our video clips of men and women whose lives have been radically transformed. All that and more at purelifeministries.org.